Attention Nerdy Nights, join Flo, Anders, and me, Colleen, at the well-rounded table for Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms. From that Star Wars galaxy far, far away to Outlander Scottish Highlands, we consume it all. Listen along with us each week as we explore the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hello and welcome to Recent Activity, your new favorite entertainment review podcast that attempts to cover every film, every show, all at once. I am your co-host, Andrew Morgan. Joining me today, as always, is the former lead singer of 90s alternative band, Chinese Spy Balloon, and current (laughs) co-host of this podcast, Shane Beauregard! What's up? (laughs) Wasn't expecting that one. That was good. You like it? Yeah. I like it. That was good. As soon as everybody said it like all the time, I was like, that sounds like exactly what that is, like a 90s alternative band, or it's going to be like a punk band, like some garage band punk band tomorrow. Right. That's exactly what's going to happen. So be sure to look out for that. It's like our modern version of like Airborne Toxic Event or whatever else. You know, it's Chinese spy balloon. But on this show... We are going to do a little bit different version of possibly the end of the world, as many many people maybe saw of uh, Chinese Spy Balloon. Um, We're going to talk about M. Night Shyamalan and his latest movie, Knock at the Cabin, which if anyone listened to our horror movie preview, this was our most anticipated across the board uh, between myself, Shane, and Chris Rodell, who is on assignment this week. So, Shane, I know you have your own relationship as people our age do with M night Shyamalan. So tell the people like what you think of him and like where your head is at as you were approaching uh knock at the cabin. Oh man. Again, another divisive director for myself. He's hit or miss early in his career. He was just with six Sense and unbreakable, which was just an awesome movie. Yeah. And then he like lulled me to sleep. With The Village, I think, is where I started losing him was The Village. And I know Chris isn't here to defend himself, but I know he liked that movie. Mm -hmm. And then we had Lady in the Water, and it just went downhill from there. Until, in my eyes, he came out with The Visit in 2015. Uh, And I really liked that film. And then he got, got me back with Split, which I thought was great. And then he disappointed me again with Glass. (laughs) <laughs> and then old came, and then old came out, and I'm like, huh, not bad. So more hits than misses for me, but man, he is he is quite the divisive director. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's not just you. Uh, as a as a fun fact for everyone, uh, the roller coaster effect with M Night Shyamalan is very much across the board. M Night has as many films rated three and a half or higher. On Letterbox, as he does films rated 2.0 or less. And he has multiples that are less. So you never know what you're going to get. And it's extremely painful when you go and fall for the trailer thinking this one is going to be the hit. And then when it's not, you just go, you son of a bitch, like a like a magic trick that the end of the trick is punched in the face. You know, it's like it doesn't work. Which is a shame because I like his his approach. I like his aesthetic, you know, especially like you said early on. The man was 
bulletproof between uh, Six Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs. I thought, like, this guy is incredible. He's got great taste in uh, actors, and, and he clearly is a massive Hitchcock fan. And, yep. you know, he has a lot of those elements, including uh, putting himself as little cameos in his film. We'll talk about uh, the <laughs> knock at the cabin version that ends up in here, which I thought was quite fun. But I do. I dig his style. But when he is off, he is so far off. And I think his biggest downfall is he just shouldn't do sci-fi. And I think... <sighs> Outside of being like a Alfred Hitchcock guy, I wonder if he's also a Twilight Zone guy because a lot of his movies kind of feel like extended Twilight Zone episodes. And yeah. this one, uh, Knock at the Cabin, is definitely one of those. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd agree with that totally. Um, where I jumped off the bridge for a while was The Happening. I think that was the yeah. Mark Wahlberg where the air started killing people in the That's wind. It's a very fun analogy, by the way, considering the movie. <laughs> People just falling off buildings. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But no, you're right. I I could see definitely, like you said, Stephen King and definitely Twilight Zone. Um, Because his TV shows are actually pretty good. I liked Wayward Pines, the short-lived series on Fox. Mm -hmm. And I actually checked out an episode or two of Servant. And I'm kind of on board with that one, too. So Yeah. yeah. I I have an issue with... um, It's ironic because if if I'm not mistaken, Servant involves... a dead child i haven't gotten totally there yet okay so well, <laughs> yeah. i thought that was in the plot description so i didn't want to go oh, okay. I didn't even read out, the plot. like spoiling yeah. or whatever but um it's you know something to those measures so it's interesting um where <laughs> with six cents and kind of all these other things it's like it's a weird thing of his obsession with having child actors and child perspectives and and ghosts and all these other things. Like, he has a very certain taste that's very interesting. And he loves, obviously, like, kind of pulling the trap door. Like, there's some overarching thing that is controlling us at some point or controlling the characters within his stories. And again, I think that's why he was so geared up to do Knock at the Cabin. And you can see a lot of the influences of what he did with his past movies in this a particular film and you know just the fact that this movie was also uh one of those screenplays that was on the blacklist like voted one of the most popular unproduced screenplays so he he nabbed up that screenplay uh that's based on the 2018 novel the cabin at the end of the world by paul tremblay and i think you know it it's one of those movies he's getting very smart with his movies that he's making movies that this one costs only $20 million to make. And I think he gets people who are just recognizable enough to sell the movie and doesn't have a lot of frills outside of that. So now he knows how to keep his career extended and pitch people on this movie will make you money by my name and the people involved alone. Right. I agree. And I I remember having this conversation with Chris a while back that he's one of those directors that does well within a budget. And once you give him a bigger budget, it's like flop time. Yeah. So if you can constrain his, like, again, constrain how much money he has to put in a movie, like The Visit, which I think was made for like $2 million, and he put half of his own money up for that thing. Yeah. He does well. He shines. And there's a couple other directors like that, and I'm blanking on him, but we've discussed them on the show before. Like, you just can't give this guy too much rope because he's going to hang himself. 
Yeah. Uh, obviously, the biggest crashes being, you know, Last Airbender and After Earth, which are <laughs> just brutal, brutal movies where he shot for the moon and just completely crash landed. But definitely, you're right. He's a guy that I think should focus on specific genres, aim small, go for big, you know, go for, you know, what he's known for. And and old was kind of like a return to some of that as well. It's a very much a, a Twilight Zone feeling, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, beach that ages you. It sounds like it's something exactly from that era stuff. It's Black Mirror. It's Twilight Zone. It's all that. And um, this one, you know, it's obviously, like I said, based on a novel. So, you know, people might be familiar with it or not. But um, this one definitely is very small. And I think, uh, you know, he tried to squeeze the most juice out of it, whether it was effective. We'll talk about that in a minute. But just to catch people up, Knock at the Cabin is about a girl and her parents while vacationing are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse. Um, this is starring David Batista, Jonathan Groff, Rupert Grint, Nikki America Bird, Abby Quinn, Ben Aldridge, and Kristen Kui as Wen. Early scores uh, have it almost about the same across the board, if you kind of do the math, like 67 Rotten Tomato score, 63 Meta score, 6.4 IMDb, 64% Rotten, Toma- uh, Rotten Tomato audience score, and 3.2 Letterbox. Shane, what did you think of uh, Knock at the Cabin now that we've seen it after being super impressed by the trailer? Right. My initial reaction when it was over was like, wow, that was a pretty solid thriller. I liked it overall, and we'll get into some of the plot holes but I enjoyed just the simplistic story, a straight one of his more straight-ahead films, and that's what I liked. It seemed focused. You're in just like pretty much one location. I thought the acting, especially by Batista as Leonard, was great. I thought he was the standout of the of the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- but what an intimidating second-grade teacher that would be. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> and coach. Can you imagine what type oh of coach God. is he? I forgot. They just said he was a second grade uh, elementary teacher in Chicago. <laughs> so, no, but they show he was like a coach for like a volleyball team. They had like a photo. Oh yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. They had a photo. That's right. Yeah. But no, I, I really liked the tension. Again, we'll get into some of the plot holes and what I didn't like about it. But overall, I thought it was a solid outing in the movie. And I when I went, I went on a Sunday afternoon, and it was a pretty decent filled theater in there. And I, the the vibe of the audience was positive overall. Yeah. Um. I didn't you know, run into obviously anyone who, who hated it or anything. My, my thoughts on it after it ended was very flat where my emotions weren't like, I wasn't emotionally satisfied with how it ended and I don't know what to take away from it, but I will agree that the conceit and the tension works for most of the film. So the, the problem with M. Night is that a lot of times he does stuff that you need to kind of be satisfied with the ending to really, like, send it really high up or it goes really far down. And this one just left me flat. So I'm not saying it's bad. I actually agree with the scores. Uh, I mean, it's pretty much they're all middling, like, solid but won't wow you type of scores. And I feel that's exactly what this movie is, where... 
most of the film you're you're always engaged you need you're constantly wanting to know what's going to happen next it can get slightly repetitive of course especially when they're condensing it down to it was it's a tight like 90 95 minute movie so i appreciated that thank you m night <laughs> right but but i did I kept thinking, and again, this is maybe where Chris is going to be like, yeah, I told you not to watch fucking trailers. But, like, I thought it's a better trailer than a movie and a better concept than execution, but that doesn't make it a bad movie. And I, the one of the things that I'm, I'm interested to know from your perspective, without doing spoilers just yet, but, like, right. I feel like this movie, it's an uptick from old because old annoyed me. <laughs> even though I actually kind of liked how old ended, which I know people don't like that. Some people are like, I liked it until the end. I'm the complete opposite. So maybe you just don't agree with my assessment. That's fine. But this movie, it just didn't have enough point or takeaway from the actual conversations that were going on and what the, the outcome of the, the movie. And for a, for a film that actually has a lot in common with signs, I thought, mm. um, the one thing that I think distinguishes between the two of them is Mel Gibson's character had way more of an arc with him with the loss of faith and the loss of his wife and and all these things that really affected him. And I thought the storytelling and the, and the structure of Signs is what makes that better and the characters are a little more memorable. This one, they got right to the point really fast and then tried to build character and flashback. And I don't know how that worked for you. Apparently, maybe more than that. But do you think like it had enough characterization to to really feel something by the end of the film? Uh, it didn't for me. That was one of the negatives that I was going to talk about. From the family side of it, I got with the flashbacks. I did get enough of their journey to where they're at. But the invader side of the characters is where they fall flat. Mm-hmm. Like nothing's really fleshed out with them. They don't really give a background on how long they've been doing it or why they're doing it. Or I know they have visions and you're supposed to be faith. You know, everyone can see these and it's faith based versus logic or reason. But to me, there just wasn't enough character development in any of the invaders outside of maybe, you know, talking about Leonard being a second grade teacher. Right. I, you know, um, I guess that'd be spoiler. We'll save that for the end. But the the uh, the little storyline with the family one of the husbands with one of the invaders, how they kind of tie them together. I didn't care much for that either. I thought that was too coincidental, but I guess that would leave the family side to have their point on what's happening. So I kind of get why you put that in there, but to me that was just too, too much of a knock on the head. So it was like they developed some characters great and some were just left all flat. Because I think that's by design, which is part of my issue, I guess with the movie where, because you're kind of left wondering whether this is legit or not, what they're what they're asking is valid or not, and what you would do in that situation and and how those things go on. So that's why when it's when the tension is ratcheted well enough and things are really intense in that cabin, that's when the movie is at its best. But when you're starting to have either thoughts of like, you know, like you said, you can't get characterization out of characters you're kind of leaving partially ambiguous because you can't go too deep without giving away 
whether you think that this is legit or not. So I think that balance was good enough, I guess, with with the the four characters, uh, the four strangers, so to speak. But I don't know. I think if you're going to leave me with this heavy decision with this three-person unit, I would have maybe liked to seen more, I guess, from that family unit and what the dynamic is and maybe have a real heart hard uh swallow when things get to the end um so that's that's where i was is that about right i mean because they they keep hiding the football in a movie like this which obviously is up m night's game you know right no i agree with everything you said and that was that was my problem that was my biggest issue with the movie but overall i i think with cutting some of that out and again this movie kind of makes me want to i'm going to say this so be prepared it's going to kind of make me want to read a book, read the book this is based on to see how much how much different the book is from this movie. Yeah. But uh, oh, I, man, I, I can tell it. you right now that people who read the book will notice that the ending is different. And, I have heard that. And so that, I think, is something we can cover in spoilers. But, but before we get too far, I guess, overall, now that you've seen the movie, now that you've seen the scores, do you also kind of agree with where the scores are going? Like, how would you rate this particular film? I, oh, yeah, okay. My initial uh, out of five when I got done, it's, it's about there. I gave it a three and a half out of five, even with all the flaws I found in it. Okay. It held my it held my attention. It was tense. I liked the acting. I, again, a positive was the hour and 44-minute runtime, which was yeah. great. And it kept me locked in the entire time, which is what I want out of a movie. If I went back and maybe after the discussion, I can knock it down to a three. But initially, upon <laughs> completion of the film, it's a three. Or like you say sometimes, if I wanted to cheat, I would do a 3.25, which would be in line with the 60, per, you know, with that percentage kind of. Yeah, I, I'm basically your your aftermath score um i'm probably at a three you know on its best day i thought maybe more forgiving and maybe you know a little more appreciative of the highs that happen at during this film that maybe i would give it a little higher but i think it's it's just a solid three out of five you know if someone said 3.25 like you just did i'd be like all right i could probably get there but three and a half sounded too high for my taste so i don't know if i can get there and, and again that's where the scores have kind of been it's kind of been like it's a three or a little a tick higher and again i think it's because there are weirdly for a movie that is so short i think it has some issues with pace mm. slightly because again because they can't make it seem so repetitive but they would have Issues of like, all right, well, they're checking their clocks to see when the next thing should happen, but we don't know what that timing is like. And like right. sometimes they're like, ah, oh, that was a little intense. We'll see you in the morning. And then the next day they're like, ha ha, we're going to do like everything all at once. Um, so it did seem to like fly in a different direction as things went along. I thought it was like really just methodical. At first, right. and then after a while, it was like, all right, we just got to get this thing going because these people are just going to either escape or go crazy um, on us. So I also thought it was, hmm, let's see. Because what's weird is I, I believe the movie is rated R, but it just didn't feel like an R-rated movie. It did not. And I, I think, and I was going to kind of chime in there, is like 
based on where we had this movie on our lists, it is a disappointment from that aspect because it didn't feel like a horror movie and it didn't feel like it should have been rated R. It yeah. felt just more like, yeah, like you said, like an uh, elongated episode of The Twilight Zone or, or Black Mirror. It has some thrills in it. It had some scenes in it. But overall, it didn't feel like a horror movie or rated R at all. Yeah, it felt like a PG-13 psychological thriller. Yes, exactly right. You know, and I would, you know, in fact, I think that's the only thing that kept this movie from being like a big money thing, like a Megan money, like because it made uh, about 15 million domestic, 21 million total overall at this point. Uh, it's opening weekend, you know, uh, going higher than Avatar, finally knocking it off uh, the top <laughs> spot. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it should be profitable because like i said it is a 20 million dollar budget so everything's going to be positive probably for m for his career all those things but it's it is one of those things that i don't i wonder if it's this movie is put in an actual horror director's hands and maybe again i don't know where the book stands but maybe it gets a little more intense especially knowing the alternate ending so to speak uh, or the different ending that the book has versus uh, the movie. So those are kind of my critiques where it feels like that maybe if they, you know, stepped on the gas a little bit more that, because again, it's weird because you can't, it's a, it's a, it's a movie that isn't a home invasion, but it is a home invasion. Like everything feels like slowly pushing, slowly pushing, slowly pushing until we get to, moments of true crisis um, right that's broken up by flashbacks so you don't really feel that intensity all the time and they also don't ratchet it so much that when you get to the flashbacks you're not feeling like relieved like a barbarian thing you know where it was like oh my god this shit's crazy oh here comes crystal or uh here comes justin long in his automobile running down the highway so it's like yeah, it's it's a very different type of feeling where you went, whoa, that was a big turn. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about a movie like this, you know, I felt like it just needed a little more oomph. And especially when you're talking about the potentiality of an end of the world situation, you know, when you're not full. How did you feel like the effects were with that? Oh, uh, a couple of scenes toward the end were like, hmm, uh, they looked, I don't want to say kind of hokey, but kind of like how you described plane, some of the special effects yeah. in plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Had, They're not all bad, feel. but some of them you go, well. Some of them, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. It shows the cheap budget, but again, but it, that's how this movie is going to make money and keep M. Night's uh, you know, career in check. So, I don't know. It's it tough. Uh, you want to get into spoilers real quick and- yeah, yeah, let's talk a little spoilers. All right. So for anyone who hasn't seen the movie and you hung with us, I thought we did pretty good without spoiling this thing. Thank you for, for hanging with us. If you <laughs> want to come back after you've seen the movie and, and hear more about it, please do come back. Um, but yeah, spoilers, Shane. Like, to me, uh, the conceit is so tough because... With the way this ends, for any, you know, for obviously if you're here, hopefully you've seen the movie. The way the movie ends and the way the book ends, I don't even know if the book one does it for me, but let's let's contrast and compare. Are you familiar? Did you read it? Did you I read, did read the it. end of it? Okay. Yep. So in the book, the ending is 
very tragic where the daughter is killed in a struggle over the gun. And honestly, that feels like it's dark. It's very dark. But it feels weirdly more satisfying or at least more climactic and cinematic, ironically, than the movie ending. Where the movie ending here is the the four horsemen of the apocalypse who show up. You know, all the plagues have uh, happened and then they give them, what, like a, a minute and a half before everything comes to uh, a fiery conclusion yeah. unless they finally make their decision. And gosh, I mean, like <laughs> the 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 fact that, you know, Andrew has to kill Eric and Eric's ready to die and all this stuff. I think if they did a better job selling the relationship, I don't know why I didn't fully buy in just enough to where I felt bad about it. You know, there wasn't like, oh, okay, he's making the sacrifice, but you don't like feel why that's so bad like part of me is like yeah that's probably how it should have been all along right yeah i mean i agree because i felt like eric's you know when he saw the light or whatever i thought his conversion or his all of a sudden getting faith was just like dropped on a dime and like just happened too quick right where andrew was all still reasoning and like whatever right so i thought like you said i didn't like i kind of knew that's the way it was going to go down they kind of foreshadowed that yeah, uh, soon as soon as that event happened, and I prefer the book's ending, as tragic and dark as that is. But that reminded me of the mist. You know, that was a that ending would slap you in your face if you've, right. you've ever seen the mist. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think this would have had kind of the same effect as that movie. Which, as tragic as that ending was, I was like, holy shit! Like they went there. Yeah. So I would have preferred the book's ending. I wonder if this is now because we've because this is an American film and especially from a director who wants a lot of people to see the film. I wonder if, you know, because we're we're in a you know post Newtown, post all these school shootings, like just kids dying far too often that I think we're rightfully very much so so sensitive that they just could not, lack of a better term, pull the trigger like on the actual ending that was in the original i wonder if that was in the original script as well because again uh m night has a writer credit on here alongside the people uh steve desmond and michael sherman who uh wrote the original script that was on the blacklist so i wonder if he altered that knowingly and again commercially speaking it's a very smart move and i don't think it takes away a ton but Again, it just adds to another thing in this movie where I was like, it felt a little too clean, a little too yes. sanitized, um, as opposed to what this, the intensity of that trailer, I was like, oh man, this is going to be bananas. And again, we're also coming off of, you know, Barbarian and Smile and some of these like really intense horror movies of last year that it just, it felt like, okay, that happened versus right. like, Oh my God, that was an experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And it's like I said at the beginning. This is like a, this is a straightforward movie. It yeah. doesn't have your usual. I got to make a twist at the end of this movie because I'm M Night Shyamalan. You know, I got to like throw people off. Right. Which we were discussing might have worked a little better with this material, but this is as straightforward as you can get. I mean, the end was right on the button. 
I didn't hate it. I just didn't. I didn't like you said. I didn't feel satisfied with it. I just wanted a little more in that last in that last scene. Yeah, and especially to me, uh, you know, my thing with this is that if you're going to tell a story like this where the outcome isn't exactly sunshine and roses, I mean, yes, I guess you know you get some of your 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 big characters to survive and. You know, the world's not completely in disarray, but obviously it had a lot of stuff all happen at once where the world's not going to be the same ever again. And, you know, it's 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 one of those movies that I wish or I thought if you're going to do like this kind of contemplation on are people worth uh, saving and, you know, believing people if this situation ever happened in real life, like, you know, would you believe these people and the answer is no it would probably happen similar to what uh happened in there which i appreciated but at the same time i felt like there wasn't a i don't know i didn't get a lot out of like the philosophy of it all or like the examination of religion something like some of these reviews that i've seen where it's like oh man what a you know cr- criticism or a cr- uh, an examination of christianity and this and that and it's like okay is it? I, and again, they, they, if you're comparing they dabbled. this, it dabbled. But again, yeah. if you're comparing this movie to Signs, I think it's not even close. Like Signs, I thought felt so personal to it, but also had enough meat on the philosophical bone while also scaring the shit out of you with the aliens at times. So, yeah. and felt and had a very Spielbergian type ending with that film too. So it also felt very satisfying. So. That movie, I think, just does more. And when I thought about it, I was like, oh, okay. Because, you know, Signs is probably like a two-hour, you know, or whatever plus movie that had a little bit, you know, more gravitas and and a little more extra pages and scenes to really get to know the characters. And then I looked it up. You know how long it is? Uh, I'm going to guess, let me guess, hour 53 minutes. No, shorter. It's like an hour and 40-something. Get out of here. It's not much longer than this movie. And I was like, wow. amazing that that is that did so much more and had a like that family unit and and the, what they had to go through. I felt like it was so much more compelling and and told it in a very different way, but in enough that it just worked. And M. Night still got to do his Hitchcock thing. He got to do a lot where uh, part of my things, uh, my favorite thing about signs is that it plays a lot with sound and actually more or less the absence of sound. It plays a lot with silence. And this movie, again, I thought it could have used some of that. I thought it could have used more just sitting with the desperation and had a little bit more freak out, honestly. And I don't know if that's because on one hand you have Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix, and on the other hand, you have guys who Batista. I've barely seen. You know, <laughs> right. no, I mean outside of Batista, but I mean like the the, the gay couple here. Um, right, that I didn't really know them that well. Jonathan Groff and uh, Ben Aldridge. You know, I wonder if maybe there's more to them, or it's casted with somebody, you know, with a little bit more. I don't know. But again, these type of movies only get made because they cost twenty million dollars. Exactly right. Exactly. You can't give uh, these these guys Mel Gibson money. Well, you can now. 
<laughs> yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. But no, si- Signs is a good comparison, like, because it, it has overlapping themes throughout. And I forgot to mention Signs because I love that movie as well. Ironically, it, not one of his uh, rated three and a half higher films. See, that's insane to me. That, I that's think so insane. Too. I yeah, think so. That's too. insane. That split is a higher rating than uh, Signs is ridiculous to me. Wow. Yeah, that's insane. So. And I don't know. Now you're trying to talk me down for my 3.5, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it's because he's been slumping so long and slowly getting out of it. And this is maybe a decent enough movie. I, uh, I mean, because this was to me a good effort, not a great effort, but a good effort. And, yeah. and still a, a, for him, a step in the right direction. It is far inferior than signs. I, I will give it that. But um uh, yeah. Overall, though, uh, I'm still going with my gut. I, I enjoyed the hour and 40 minute ride. Could have been tighter. Uh, like I said, they, they dabbled in the whole faith Christianity theme. They didn't go all into it, which, again, I don't know if you add all that stuff in there. Does it become a two hour, 30 minute movie? We're, we're bitching about that right now. You know, like <laughs> I don't think so. I think you can add 15 minutes to this and, and have it be a little more concrete, especially if you right. add more with the family in the beginning. Right. And I agree because, again, my biggest thing is I want to know more about the how these invaders get chosen outside of seeing visions because there has to be more than four people that see visions at a time. So, like, <laughs> how, 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 how do these people get together? Yeah, I just want to know more about that background of people. And I know they're supposed to be shrouded in, mis- you know, just a big mysterious thing. But I, I wanted to know more about that world. Yeah. But I agree with you uh, on probably two things we could take away from this movie is I think this proves even more as the more and more we get from him that Dave Bautista can do a lot of stuff. And I think he was perfect casting for this movie. Um, because if you can't, if you're not doing a lot visually with, you know, how they maybe lit the cabin or what they're doing to increase the intensity, the time bomb of Dave Bautista being like, he's nice now, but look at him. He's Dave Bautista (laughs) works works as well as you could possibly do. Um, and especially because, again, the these characters are supposed to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they're supposed to be very specific traits of those people. And, and again, if you really want to go into something that M. Knight likes to do a lot where each... Did you notice that each t-shirt was colored different and that it's supposed to convey the emotion of each version of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? And basically... And if you look at Eric's t-shirt, he is, it's the combination of those four colors. So, Oh, I didn't pick up on that. So basically if you, if you, you know, now knowing that if you go back and watch, he loves to play with color. I mean, the sixth sense thing with the red thing and whatever, he likes to do that every now and then where it's like, he likes to give visual clues to where he's going with things or what have you. But the difference is the payoff and, you know, sixth sense, ultimate payoff. The first time you see that movie. And to be honest, honestly, it's still, I think, a very rewatchable movie, even though mm-hmm. you know the ending. Um, but, you know, Unbreakable, there's a ton of signs and things like that, especially with uh, Mr. Glass and all that stuff. And, and uh, of course, with signs, with the water and the things like that, there's always visual clues that add up to some kind of conclusion. And this one, it had it too, but it's just like, okay, but I needed to really 
feel the impact of the decision that had to be made. And I think that's where if I'm not feeling it, if I'm like, all right, cool, I'll just go watch The Last of Us, which is uh, <laughs> my another <laughs> version of uh, post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic and you know the actual human connection and conversations i'll I'll do that instead but um yeah i i think between batista being great and the fact that i know this is at least an uptick from old where i think he could do this he could repeat this over and over and still be successful like a small tense movie with some level of sophistication in the writing or the construction. Right. So what did you think about the uh, M. Night cameo? I, I loved it. I think it, it was, was maybe my favorite. So on, on the list of cameos that he's had, ironically, <laughs> I think my other favorite one of his is Signs. Mm-hmm. Because that conversation with him. <laughs> And Mel Gibson with the like the drunk driving thing and that that like is just so hilariously awkward that it's not really fully supposed to be, but it's it it is, and he serves it up well. And I was like, oh look at this guy; he's a little more than Hitchcock sometimes on the uh, on the cameo tick. He's actually inserting himself at poignant moments. Um, but this one, yeah, it's right up there with the, the TV personality, the infomercial guy. That kind of energy and having that coming from it, I liked it. Yeah, advertising in an air fryer. It was great. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that worked for me, too. So, yeah, if he wants to keep doing those cameos, I'm, I'm all about that, too. So all in all, again, for a movie that I, I don't want to see him, I'm, like, largely shitting on. I think there are things to take away here that are good and kind of bring him back to some of his classic, classic <laughs> style. I just wonder, you know. Is there more juice in the tank? Can he go up from here? Can he keep pushing these small movies? And and like you said, almost forcing that budget and those constraints into something where, you know, you're gripping the, the coal until it turns into a diamond. And I feel like he was close with this. Like if it just had a little bit more in the script. Um, but you're right. I almost want to read that book to see maybe he did pull some punches that made it lack a certain thing that I thought I was going to get. Yeah, I agree. I want to see him in this box. I don't want to see him getting bigger than this. And in fact, I just looked it up. He has one project in development right now called Labor of Love, which I I can't tell much. It says a widower embarks on a cross-country trip on foot to prove his love for his late wife. That's all they said about it. And he has another project in development. So, And ironically, that sounds like... Kind of maybe a religious type feeling or, you know, kind of pushing, you know, Greek philosophy or something like that where he's, you know, got something in store, something a little bit in the in the question of like why someone would do this kind of thing. It'd be interesting. Right, right. Quick little trivia on that. Uh, this screenplay that he's working on now was written in 1992 and sold to Fox in 1993. He's been sitting in uh, developmental hell for over 20 years, it says. Hmm. Yeah, because uh, the interesting thing, so his his first two movies, um, one was in, like, I think the mid-90s, and then he got his first kind of, like, big-budget thing with Wide Awake, which nobody thinks is an M. Night Shyamalan movie until you go, yeah, that Rosie O'Donnell movie with the little kid, uh, yeah, that's M. Night Shyamalan's first movie, <laughs> and it happened a year before 
uh, Six Sense came out, which is wild. The, the the turnaround, you wouldn't know. One is clearly like that guy got a paycheck, and then now it's like, okay, now he proved he could do a big budget movie. What do you want to do? And then he knocked out of the park with Six yep. Sense. So yeah, it's interesting because that predates that by several years. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, but uh, he's on a roll enough where I guess if you're going to cash in some chips, let's see uh, what he does. But hopefully he doesn't get, again, too big for his britches. Yep. But I think budgetary-wise, it sounds about right. It sounds right. still I, in that I, wheelhouse. Yeah, it does. And I, I'm back on the bus until he gives me another The Happening, and then I'm flying off the bridge again. So <laughs> He almost lost me with old. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, that movie, I would thought it was going to be so much cooler and then it was just, it, it lost me. I was literally lost on that beach somewhere just begging to die <laughs> in reverse or whatever the hell. or <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, M. Night, appreciate the effort. Uh, good enough on this one for a February movie, I guess. And we will keep trudging on. Um, next week, there's not a, a ton of stuff coming oh, out. Boy. Or actually, I should say this weekend, um, Magic Mike X. XL or whatever uh, is not going to be something we probably cover. Uh, So next week might be a a bit of a question mark in terms of that. We might go back into the TV stuff and kind of update some of our picks that way. Uh, And then you're probably looking at, you know, Quantumania is going to take over and a lot of the Marvel conversations. So we'll see. Uh, February is a very interesting month, as always. Um, where you never know what you're going to get, but at least we dropped a, a Marvel movie in here somewhere, so that way we can have a little extra conversations on some things. But thank you, Shane, as always. Thank you guys for listening. Please like and subscribe. Recent Activity, wherever you get podcasts, and we'll see you next week for more Recent Activity. <laughs>